Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's great uh, to see everyone here and be gathered uh, together. And I know last week, um, you know, it's always surreal. Last uh, Sunday night, we had um, our night of worship, and we were able to uh, all be together from Leland, Newburn, and Wilmington. It was a great night. It's just always uh, kind of a humble reminder of how God is using us um, just around this region in, in, all, in these kind of pockets of places where um, something is happening, something we're trying to be a faithful steward of what God is doing in these areas. Now he's used that to ripple out, as you heard here, and in other campuses around, literally around the world. And it's just always um, just surreal to stop and to consider um, just how uh, faithful God is and how, uh, you know, his, his intention for, um, for our church. And so just a, a humble reminder, today we've been talking about since the, last, since the fall, since the beginning of fall, uh, about our mission uh, to reach people and help them walk with God, specifically talking about um, our reach. And we're not talking about our church getting bigger, but rather we're talking about what it looks like for our church to uh, really the identity of our church, who we are becoming, and this idea of how we connect one another. We've been talking about this as a cultural, this is not just about our strategies, it's, it's, it's about who we are as a people, as us. And so we've spent the last few, uh, last month and a half talking about connection and care and then goodness. And um, the connection is that we would exchange life with one another as we learn to trust enough. And so this first emphasis is on, can we trust enough in order to belong, to live safely within the care of, others, uh, of, an, of a community or of other people? And today we're gonna talk about a little bit more extend that about what it would be like if we could be brave enough um, to experience this and what would be required of us. And I have, I have tried to be careful and to not do this, um, but this morning I'm gonna do it, okay? Um, uh, about three and a half months ago, um, we had our first grandkid. Her name is Lennon. Uh, and I always say my kid's kid because grandkid makes me sound old. It's just my kid's kid. Her name is Lennon. Madison, Carson, uh, and Lennon. And so we have, uh, I usually take Mondays off. So the last uh, few weeks, so typically my wife works Monday morning. She gets off at lunchtime and then I, I'm off. So Julie and I usually tag team keeping Lennon on Monday afternoons um, as they're both returning back to work. And so um, we have, which tag team usually means that Julie has Lennon and I get to play along, right? That's kind of how it works. So a few weeks ago, um, I was asked, they call me Pod. Hey, Pod, can you watch Lennon in the morning? I'm like, all by myself? They're like, all by yourself. I'm like, I raised two, I can, I can do this. So it was successful. So last week, I got asked to do this again. And um, <clears throat> when they were coming over to the house, they bring her over, it was a, a, you know, Toward the, the morning, she was about ready for her first nap. And the schedule is very important. So I try to be really accommodating. I don't be that guy. And so they bring her over and I, and I pick her up and I, she's about nap time. So she's about I don't know, half asleep. Her eyes are starting to close. I'm just gonna scoop her up, put her in her swing, let her take her first nap. We're gonna be good as gold. And as soon as I picked her up, I said, hey, kiddo, this is what I saw. 
Dude, she was ready. This is Lennon. She was ready. So we got out of her seat and we decided to play. And this is just a few minutes later. We got all the toys out and we were on the floor and we were having ourselves a big old time. And it's so, so crazy because I'm not a baby person. Like I had two kids, but when you're, when you're like a new dad, you're like, oh my gosh. And you know, this has been so different. And people say like, oh, you want to just, you know, grandkids are great because you can like, you know, take them, spoil them and send them back. I'm like, no, they're great because you can take them. And I think I want to run away with her. So we've been having a ball. But it's so crazy. And I just, I think you're just, you're, you're, when you're young and you have these little kids, you're just like panicked all the time. When you get older, it's like, okay, this is all gonna be cool. And so um, I remember sitting her in my lap. And if you sit in your lap, Man, she'll kick and she'll play and she'll just be all. And if you take your hand and you put it gently behind her head and just kind of lift her head, she just, she just is like, oh, I trust you, we're good. Like it's literally like she just kind of, she just kind of fully rests in your care. That's what, it, what it's like. So I'm sitting there thinking about this and I'm going, this is, this is kind of what we need to learn to do as humans, as adults, to learn to rest, to trust enough to rest in the care of another person, right? Part of what care is, a lot of us think that care is you needing to be fixed because something has happened to you or something is broken. But care isn't about being needy. Care is the way in which we experience our intended dependence on each other. To live within the care of others or of another is the way in which we experience our intended dependence on each other. It's interesting. When you're talking about a little baby, they don't really call it dependence. They call it things like attachment or, or, or connection. Because what they're learning how to do is they're learning how to determine, is this a place where I can relax and rest and trust myself with these or this person? And it's about connection. It's about attachment. So we talk about care. We're not talking about fixing problems. We're not talking about dealing with issues, although those are a part of care. But when I talk about care, I'm talking about something fundamentally deeper, a little bit more pervasive, and that we define care like this. The care is cultivating space where we can avail ourselves to one another, right? To belong, to show up. And therein, in our showing up, we actually become, we change, we grow. We spend time talking about this, that we need other people to hurt in their guts until Christ is formed in us, until we become the kind of people we've been called to be. We're talking about this radical assumption that I'm making. A lot of us, we've grown up, we talked this last week in depth, but a lot of us, we think that we've got to sit outside, sit over here, we've got to get ourselves together. And if we get ourselves together enough, right, then we can return to this place and we'll belong. And so this sort of radical idea is that we have to actually belong. There has to be some kind of connection, some way in which we exist together in order for us, for you and for me to become the kind of person that we've been created to be. Now, I've got to do a little backstory here to kind of catch up. If you've been around Port City for a long time, you've heard this at least a hundred times. But the, the challenge, the reason this is so important is because that all of us are shaped or formed by the way in which we have belonged or we have not been able to belong. 
All of us have been shaped. You learn that if you perform well, if you look good, if you're cool enough, if you do this enough, if you offer something to other people, if you, whatever it is, whatever, you learn that if I do these things, then I'll belong. These all shape us. Or the places where you were ejected or the places where you were left out or the places where people didn't see you, all those shaped you as well. And this is the process that happens universally for all people in how you get to be the way that you are. And we use these three simple words. If you've been here long enough, you will probably recognize this. The first one we talk about is an encounter. Remember this? That whatever you see, what you, what you perceive, what you think, what, what you experience, all begins to shape you. And the second part is formation. This is what happens in your heart. And then the third part is this idea of expression. This is what comes out of our lives. It's encounter, formation, expression, that whatever you experience or see or perceive from other people from the world outside of you will form something that happens in you and then out of your heart flows everything else in your life. If you get bit by a dog when you were a kid, the odds are you are gonna be very afraid of dogs for the next few months, the next few uh, years, and perhaps for the rest of your life. Do you know why? Because what you encountered did something to you that makes its way out into the way you live. And now you live afraid of these little four-legged animals because one time you got bit. This is the way you become the way that you are. In every relationship, this is what has happened, right? Someone didn't hold your head safely and you learned something. You learn that you can't trust another person and something happens in your heart and then it makes its way out into the way you experience the world around you, the way you live in the world around you, the way you engage with the world around you. It's encounter, formation, expression. The challenge for a lot of us is most of our encounters or so much of what we have encountered has been brokenness after brokenness after brokenness after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And the challenge for a lot of us is that most of what we have experienced has only been confirmed over the course of our lives. This forges something deep within us. What we have to learn is to create some kind of different way. And this is what God's intention is when we talk about us, to create a different way, a different place for us to experience life the way it's intended to be. Our culture has tried to do this. Our culture has tried to do this by creating what they call, and again, this is a sort of an evolving thing, but in the last 15 years, especially they're calling this, this, this place where they call them safe spaces. And I'm not offering any critique, just observation. That these safe spaces are basically have become places where you won't be offended or you won't be made to feel uncomfortable. And what this usually ends up looking like is people who are gathered around that look the same, think the same, believe the same things about the things that they deem are important. And all it does is just forge an identity around something. We taught this, a connection around some identity that they've now forged based on this particular thing. Usually those become safe spaces for those who agree, but to everyone else, they become very hostile. This is the nature of what is happening in our culture. It is evidenced. It is evidenced in our politics. I think that our politics are only symptomatic of what is actually happening inside of our hearts. And what we then try to do, the problem is when you create these safe places where you aren't offended, what it does not do is it does not account for the tension that we feel within our own hearts and within our, in our own selves. 
There's a disintegration that goes along with the human condition in its fallen state apart from God that is disintegrated. And that doesn't go away just because you are surrounded by other similarly disintegrated people. It's still there. And so we have to figure out what to do with this and what God intends for us to do about it. People ask me all the time, and we get this question, and people talk, when you really press on people about their faith and what they believe and what's happening in them, those conversations usually get really serious really fast, especially in the current context. And people will often ask me with sincerity, says, Mike, you know, how, how are you so sure? How are this? Do you, do you ever doubt that your faith is real? Do you ever doubt that God is? Do you ever doubt that this could be? And the answer is yes, all the time. There's this illusion that I think a lot of people have portrayed that, oh yeah, once you believe, you always believe. And you, there's reasons why that Jesus, that we are told and instructed, um, you know, when, when, the, when Jesus uh, met this man and he says, do you believe? He said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There's a process by which we come to understand and to learn and to grow, to become. And this, this isn't you doing your own Bible study. This is us together. We have to belong in order to become. Something has to be different. And so it's interesting. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. I thought about this, that in uh, Ephesians, Paul is writing this letter. We've been kind of using these letters from, from Paul over the last few months, from Thessalonians, uh, Titus, and then uh, this one's from, uh, from Ephesians. It's a letter he wrote to a group of Christ followers uh, in the first century. And he begins this section of the letter and he's like, I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been given. I urge you to live in the way in which you've been created, right? You'd hear Paul say in Galatians 4, he says, I'm in the very pains of childbirth. I'm hurt in my gut until Christ is formed in you. So he's saying the same kind of thing to them. And then he goes on, he talks about this identity that we've been given. There's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. There's this unity in who we are. And then he says that we will, we will attain, right, this until we all attain this unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all, until this all comes together. Um, he said we continue in this process. But he says, as this happens, we will no longer be tossed around like infants. We'll no longer remain in our immaturity, pulled around by whatever captures our attention, whatever incites our anger, whatever pulls us into whatever mess we end up getting ourselves in. How freeing would that be for you not to just move from one thing that makes you angry to the next thing that makes you angry to the next thing that makes you angry? And we just have this sort of chronic inflammatory culture where every time you turn around, something is trying to make you mad or to make you discontent. What would it be like if there was a different way to live? He says, instead of living like this, we'll become something else. It's interesting, I'll just give you a real quick. When I think about maturity, this is about, you know, this is a little bit more complex now, but the basic way I think about this, because I'm a simple guy, is when I used to think about what does spiritual maturity look like? What does it look like for me to grow and to become a, a more mature follower of Jesus, more mature in my faith? And there were three things. It was stability, gratitude, generosity. If I want to do a real quick measure, it's stability, uh, stability gratitude, generosity. If, if I can look and see those things are happening in me, there's a good chance I'm inclined in the right direction. But the opposite of those is what marks immaturity. It's insecurity. It's a, it's a lack of sense of self. It's a lack of sense of identity. It's a disintegrated self. It's insecurity. It's entitlement. Do you think somehow you're owed? And number three, it's fear. Those are all markers of immaturity. Enti uh, insecurity, entitlement, and fear. 
And so he says, this is sort of what's happened if we're just left to our own devices. So he said, there's a different way for us to live. Instead, what he writes in chapter four, verse 15, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love. We looked at this last week. Speaking the truth in love. This isn't just your, this just, just isn't your motive to say, I'm gonna tell this person what I think, but I'm gonna love them while I do it, right? This isn't that. To, to speak the truth in love, this creates a context within which we live. And the context within which we live is I'm gonna speak the truth in love so that you change. No, it's I'm gonna speak the truth in love and then we will all grow to become in every respect this mature body who derives all of its source from the head that is Christ, that we will begin to derive all of our imaging from the one whose image we are to bear. We're drawing all of this together in love. And then he goes on, he says this. I keep reading in verse 16. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament as it grows and it builds itself up. That there's something that has to happen in between these places as it builds itself up, as each part takes responsibility for its part, as you take responsibility for your part. A lot of us have grown up in the church hearing this idea that, oh, each part does, it work, does its work means that you serve in grow zone and you serve in the parking lot. Should you serve in grow zone in the parking lot? Yes, you should. You absolutely should. But it is much deeper than that. It isn't just about you signing up and showing up for a role. It is about you doing your part, you being what he is asking of us. He's like, he's not trying to get us to function and strategically run a program. He is concerned that we are live a manner worthy of the image that we have been given. That's what, he, that's what this is about. So he's pulling us into this place where we learn how to, to speak in love. And what is it that we're speaking to each other? Speak what? Speak the truth in this relational context where there is love. We learned this last week. This is really insightful and it's important for us to get a handle on. But Robert Stolero observes this about suffering and trauma. He says that suffering isn't what causes trauma. Experiencing suffering alone is. Experiencing suffering outside of some place. He says that trauma is severe, or trauma is uh, when severe emotional pain cannot find a relational home in which it can be held. And when that happens, your only choice is to hold it yourself. When you hold that yourself, you know what it produces. It's shame, it's all the other things that go along that continue to erode and disintegrate who we are as human beings. And then what shame does and the evilness of it is it, it makes you, it makes you, it, it reduces the expectation that you'll ever find grace in any of these relationships. And this is how some of us live. We're just always skeptical and hesitant and afraid. And what you need sometimes is someone to speak the truth in love to you. This doesn't mean that they're telling you what's wrong with you. Sometimes the truth needs, they need to tell you who you actually are, who you really are, because it's been a long time since you've considered it or since you've believed it. Last week we talked about this idea, right? That these four things we want to, we want to number one is you gotta see God's image in someone else in order for us to care. 
You gotta see God's image. Number two is you have to remove distance. You have to do whatever you have to do. This is where forgiveness comes in. Forgiveness removes distance. The gospel removes distance. Number three is you gotta listen without fixing. Remember this from last week? You can't try to fix everybody that is, that is, that is around you. You have to listen without trying to fix. And number four is you have to offer courage. What all of this is about, when we talk about this, we're, we're cultivating space for someone to believe, for someone to believe, for them to find a relational home in which that thing that they think keeps them separated and worthless, that that thing finds a safe place to be held. Safe places are not defined by whether or not you'll be defended. Safe places are places where you will be loved. And let me assure you, if you learn to live in these relationships long enough, there will be times when you are offended. There will be times when there is discomfort. There will, all of this is required in order for us to become because we are forming as we are, are being formed. All this is happening all at the same time. One of the biggest obstacles at some level is to believe. There was a study done several, maybe 10, a decade ago about some of the most successful people in the world in all different uh, disciplines and uh, um, enterprises, just the most successful people. They just kind of did a big survey to try to find what, was, what the common practices were, what was sort of common personality. Was it they were geniuses? Was they were hard workers? Was they were nocturnal? What was it? And they began to, as they study this, they realized there's only one thing that every person had in common. That was that every person who had achieved a high level of success in whatever it was that they were doing, that that person actually believed that what they were doing could be done. It was their willingness to believe. When it comes to this, this, this is what we're talking about. We, we are going to be formed by the people that we become. But in order for you to be formed, right, by belonging, it's going to require you to believe. You're going to have to offer and bring something to this. Care is not primarily about fixing your problems or dealing with your issues. Those are all a part of it. But it is learning to live as one who has been cared for. It's about who it is that we are becoming, who it is that you, how we belong and how we become or who we become outside of that belonging. We need to connect with other people and to entrust ourselves to the care of those who hurt in their gut until Christ is formed in us, for others to see God's image and God's work within us. But you have to believe, you have to learn to believe. If you don't believe that someone else cares, nothing that they do is going to feel like care. You know this is true. We have to believe. So believe what? Believe what? One of the things that I've tried to do over the course of my adult life. As I began, I kept, many of you know I keep a journal. John, I keep a journal. Um, you should too. Um, and part of what it does, it helps me pay attention to things that I say. And what's interesting is the default language that I use. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you have things that you say every time someone says or asks you a particular question about something. For example, some of you like someone says, how are you doing? Your default response is living the dream, right? You've been saying that for 15 years. And it's just, it's, it's not, it's just because that's what's at the top of your head. That's just what happens. 
If someone asks you this question, your brain doesn't even think about it. It just spouts these words off. And we do this, especially in our spirituality and our relationship with God, because we have all this language, especially that we've grown up with, that we've heard. As we say things like, well, to God be the glory, or God is glory, and we don't really think about what do we mean by this? He's sovereign over all. What do we mean by this? Everything happens for a reason. What do we mean by this? And we end up with this kind of default language over time. So I try to really, you know, just, just because it's, I have enough brain issues as it is, um, I try to really pay attention to how I use words and why I use words and what words I'm prone to use to describe th- certain things. And should I use other words to describe them instead? I know this is kind of way too nerdy for some of you, but this is just how my brain works. Because there are so many times when I write something down and it's the same way I'm going, can I use different words to describe this? Can I think of this a little bit differently? And one of those is, you probably notice this here, I don't use the word purpose a lot. I talk about God intended you, his intention. You probably haven't even noticed. It's intentional. The reason is because this purpose, purpose feels like what you do. It's the task that you accomplish. So when we think about God's purpose, you immediately start thinking of what you need to do in order to achieve or accomplish God's purpose. But if you just consider that God intended you, he just meant for you to be. That's a little bit different, isn't it? It feels different. Because now there's, there's, he intended for you to be here. He intended for you to be alive. He intended for you to be present on this day. And then you can figure out whatever the reason is later, but just to know that you've been intended is a little bit different. And here's why this matters. Ephesians 2 talks about our identity. There's a verse that a lot of us are familiar with. And this is what I'm asking you to believe. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. And most of us have heard this verse. Leave it up there for just a second. Most of us have heard this verse used to prove to you that you didn't have a shot if it weren't for God. Right? It ain't nothing you did. It's just it's, all, it's, it's God's grace, which is all good news. But what's the reason? Why is it, why is it so? So that no what? So that what? So we don't boast. So we don't go back to putting stock in ourselves as, according to what we have done. And he continues on and he says this. For we are, we are God's handiwork. The, the literal word there. Is uh, keep going to the next slide, verse nine or verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. Um, that word is poema. It's where we get our word poem. We are God's artistry. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for in advance for us to do. And let me ask you a question Where did your mind go first? You're Americans, I know where it went. You're like, yeah, yeah, handiworks. We're prepared, good works. That's what we gotta do. He's prepared, good works. Because we always go there. We don't spend any time considering that you have been made and created and intended and that you are actually his artistry. You're actually his masterpiece. You're actually his handiwork. Let me tell you how this matters. Because if you read that verse, what you're likely to believe, put that verse back up there again. It says that we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What you will inevitably think is that if you do good works, you will become his masterpiece. And guess what happens to your heart when you approach that? What if 
you were to see this and said, I am his masterpiece. I am his handiwork. I am intended and therefore. You see how different that is coming out of your life? Kurt Thompson wrote a book, Dr. Kurt Thompson wrote a book called Soul of Desires. It's beautifully written. But he talks in there um, and he, and he, he makes an interesting uh, observation. He talks about how God's sort of deliberateness in creation, because most of us have this picture. We read Genesis 1, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. God said this, and boom, this happened. And God said this, and boom, this happened. It's just like an execution of his command. And we don't ever really stop and think about what the rhythm is like. And so God creates this. And at the end of this, he's created the land and the sky and the seas and the birds and the animals and the vegetation and the fish and all these things. And then it says he pauses and he looks and he observes. He looks, he ponders, he assesses what he has done. If you think about this, he had a whole day to make some stuff. I mean, we think he just spoke it and he said it, but see, he, said he may spoke it and said, huh, I'm looking at this from a different angle, right? Have you ever painted anything or made something? You like, you put it on the canvas and you back up and you look at it and you step back in and you make a little adjustment and you back up and look at it again. I don't wanna project this on God, but, but I think if we let ourselves imagine, you'll see that there was some, in, there was some intentionality behind this. And at the end of this first run, he stops and he assesses and he says, this is good. Like he looks and says, this, it's stated in our Bibles. God observes what he had done. He backs up and he makes an assessment about it. And he says, oh, this is good. And then he says this, and this is the way the poem goes. So then God considers again, now let's do this next thing. Let's make human beings in our very own likeness. So he created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And after this part, he backs up again and he makes an assessment and he looks and he observes what he has made. You know what he says this time? He says, oh, this is very good. This is very, very good. He assesses this. Dr. Thompson writes it like this. God longs for us to be aware that he longs for us. God cares that you know that he cares for you. He cares that you know that he longs for you, that he's made you for himself, that he was thinking of us long before we came into being. Then he had this little quip, and I wrote this in my journal. That God was thinking about us before he made us is a wonder. Like that he had, he was just, he was like backing up going, what, what shall I do? And he thought, and then out of that became something. You know, if you think of this, it changes how you see and sense and respond that we are his, we are his masterpiece. We are what he has created to believe that, to believe that. It's this idea when we understand that we are cared for that compels us to avail ourselves, but this requires something from you. And I want to consider, I want you to consider to, 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 for me to offer courage to you. To say, would you be brave enough to try something? Three things, to be honest. Would you be brave enough to try something? Because this won't work, right? If you just wait on something to happen. It says we need to learn how to do this in love. So thing number one, thing number one, to be brave enough 
to be honest with yourself. Sounds so easy and so like assumed, but I don't know about you, I can tell myself some pretty wicked lies. Anybody else? I can think some pretty, some pretty good stuff. In fact, I found I can justify almost any behavior that I can talk myself into. Ever found that? Anything. You know why addiction's so powerful? Because you got, I can stop anytime I want. Right? That's it. And in your mind, you believe that. And then you justify why you didn't when you did it again. You can just pick your issue, pick whatever it is. Doesn't matter if it's like smoking, you know, marijuana or porn or drinking too much or whatever it is that, that happens in your head. You will always find a reason why you keep doing it. It's, we're gonna talk about this next week. It's how our minds work. So be honest with yourself. One of my favorite passages or one of my go-to passages, I use this all the time, just in my own internal world, Psalm chapter 51, verse six, the psalmist writes, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. It is in this hidden part that you will make known to me wisdom. Or some versions say truth. To be honest with yourself, he longs for there to be truth in the innermost parts of yourself. Here's the problem. You know what the problem is, right? We tend to do this outside of this box. We tend to think, I'm gonna try to be truthful with the innermost parts of myself so that I can be loved. And as soon as you put that so, so that in there, you begin justifying whatever it is, why you're, why, uh, what, you justify whatever it is that you are currently doing. If you understand that you are already loved in love, you are already as masterpiece, you can bring yourself because it is in finding and dealing with that truth that you will actually be set free. It is in that hidden place that you're willing to acknowledge that, that he will actually begin to help you and teach you wisdom, how to become integrated once again. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom isn't being smart. Wisdom is an integration of our minds and our hearts and our whole beings. That's what wisdom is. It's, it's that fulfillment of integrity. So it's just to be truthful with yourself. Um, I've got journal entries where I use code because I don't, when I die, I don't feel read my journals and thinking, oh my gosh, they're gonna wonder about what are fire trucks and addicts and rats and all kinds of other things. And you're gonna have no idea. But you know what? I know and God knows. And sometimes it takes a lot of guts to write stuff down, to be honest in the innermost part of yourself. But it starts there. And it's not to induce shame. It's to bring you in to a place. Because here's the next thing. Once you do that, you need to be brave enough to consider the truth. We're gonna hit this pretty hard next week, but I want, you, I want to go ahead and get you inclined in this direction. Most of us think that to speak the truth in love means I'm gonna now tell this person what they're doing wrong, hold them accountable so they can be different. It's not, it's until we. And sometimes speaking the truth to someone, sometimes it is a, a hard thing that you say, there's no question. But sometimes to speak the truth to someone is to say, oh, 
You're his handiwork. You're his masterpiece. And I can see that in you by. I can see that in you by. To consider that there are things about you that are true, that you have long stopped trusting, that aren't in your thinking anymore. And perhaps you need to encounter those things. Again, the reason we speak the truth in love is because sometimes what we say to someone is the encounter that begins to reshape or reform what most of the world has deformed in you. This is why we need each other. This is why we have to learn to care for one another. Would you be brave enough to consider a different story about your life than the one that you have been on for the last however long? And number three, could you be brave enough to believe amid all your skepticism, Amid all your reasons, good reasons. Some of you have been burned by relationship after relationship. Some of you have been burned by the church. Carson did a message this past Tuesday on church hurt. We get it. But would you be brave enough to believe, to trust again that God is great, that God is good, that God is near? that God enters into our suffering, that God is faithful, that God is redemptive, that God has intended you, that you don't need to get out from wherever you are or you don't need to get on from wherever you are so that it will be behind you. You don't need to be fixed and you don't even need to feel immediate relief as hard as it is for us to believe. But what we need, what you need, what I need is a relational home to hold the weight of what it is that we are wrestling with. And it seems to be that this is what God has given us. Would you be brave enough to believe that you can belong and that in fact you do belong? To believe that you are cared for and that care is a normal part of what it means to live in a community. It is not a reminder that something is wrong with you. What could this be like? I want us to read this together. What if you and I lived as people emancipated from the world's systems, its structures, and its patterns. Extend that to our families and then to our church. What if we persistently and thoroughly immersed ourselves in patterns of God's kingdom? What if, what if that happened? What difference would it make in our own lives if we were convinced that death has been defeated, that we are perfectly known and perfectly loved, that we are forgiven, that we belong, and that we no longer need to be concerned about our status in the world's opinion. How would that affect our anxieties, our sense of self, our need to win, our insatiable drive and hunger, the anxiety-producing, soul-splitting pace and way that tears us apart and results in us tearing each other apart. What if we could experience something different 
in this place. The reality is it happens. It happens every week. You show up in here, and for just a moment, right, you kind of feel like, I could be different. You feel that way? I could be different. I think things could be different. You know what's also interesting about this? This is the place where I'm doing most of the talking and no one else is saying anything, which is all kind of a help, right? Because you're, you're, just, you're just still and you're absorbing and you're listening and hopefully you're being, being built up, being encouraged and challenged and shaped. And if we do this and we learn how to do this, right, in all these little connections, it's not going to change outside of living in the context under the rule of God's love. We have to enter into this place. This is why the gospel matters. It is your forgiveness and my forgiveness that has reconciled us to the way of life under the rule of God's love. It is in this place where you have been intended to belong and out of that belonging for you to become, would you be brave enough to be honest with yourself? Would you be brave enough to consider that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made, intended, a masterpiece, to see that and to believe that and to trust that? Would you be brave enough to believe things that God has made available to you that you perhaps have given up on? So you can find, right, the thing that he's looking for in your belonging that you would become. And when I become and you become, that's who we become. Father, would you meet us in this moment? You, you have made a way. You have helped us. You've sent us a helper. Your Holy Spirit is our helper. God, would you grant us wisdom and perspective to see his work in the lives of the people around us, the people that we love? Would you allow us to hurt in our gut until your image is born in the life of another? Father, I ask that as we consider what is required of us, that you would make us a place Father, we can belong and experience that belonging. And out of that, Father, we will be formed into the very image in which you have intended for us to be, that we would live in a manner worthy of the call that you've given to us. Father, it's not our effort. But we have been born again and reintroduced to a new way under a new rule. Lord, we'll be reminded of that and we'll be reminded one another of that. And I ask you to do that according to what you intend, your promise given. And I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.